I like to go unrecognised. I'm not big on standing out. I'm trying to pretend right now that I'm just speaking to a bunch of people from my church who know me and love me rather than speaking to a camera to who knows who. When I go somewhere new, I like, like a new church or like a party if I really have to. I like to sit in the car until the very last minute so I can enter right on time and hopefully just blend in. I really don't want to stand out. In this way, Jesus and I have something in common. To be sure, Jesus was perfect and I'm far from it. But this is one thing I think we do have in common. Jesus did not seek to stand out. For much of his life, Jesus had kept his cover. He went unrecognised and he was okay with that. The king of the universe, the creator of all things, walked among us unknown, undercover. He was probably pushed around as a kid. He grew up and learned to trade. He knew who he was. God knew who he was. But almost everyone around him had no idea. Even when Jesus started his ministry, people didn't know who he was. They thought he might have been another teacher or rabbi. His own family and his town questioned him. He preached obscure messages on purpose so that his identity would be hidden. Occasionally, someone would recognise that Jesus was more than a teacher, but Jesus would tell them to keep it to themselves. And then, a week before the Passover, Jesus made his way to Jerusalem. The population of Jerusalem jumped from about 100,000 to an estimated 1 million people around this time. There was no social distancing happening here. Tensions ran high. Just a few miles from Jerusalem, at the height of the biggest religious festival of the year, Jesus stood beside a grave and told a dead man to come out. The crowd saw and the crowds understood. For the first time in his life, people really started to understand who Jesus was, that he might in fact be the promised Messiah. And then, on the Sunday before Passover, Jesus entered into Jerusalem. Word had got around that he was coming and a huge crowd gathered to meet him. They were holding a victory parade. They, they were greeting a king. They grabbed palm leaves and waved them. You see, palm leaves had become a nationalistic symbol for Israel. They were welcoming Jesus. He was finally getting the recognition that, that he deserved as king. They cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna means save us. At one time, it's perhaps what you would have said if you'd fallen into a pool and you didn't know how to swim. But over time, this word came to mean praise. It's maybe what you would have said if you'd fell into a pool, didn't know how to swim and then saw the lifeguard coming to save you. The people understood who Jesus was. He was coming to save God's people. He was the promised one, the Messiah. And when we look a little closer at what takes place, though, on this day, we discover that Jesus wasn't the king they were expecting. Few, if any of them, believed in him or really understood who he was or what he was really about. Sure, they waved the palm branches and shouted, Hosanna, perhaps almost demanding, God saved us, give us a good show, help us, produce the outcome we want. I wonder how many would have been waving their palms that day if they understood that Jesus wasn't coming to confront the Roman government and to fight for the freedom of the Jewish people. It isn't that God isn't concerned with such things. It's just that his timetable is different and his rules of engagement are different. He comes in peace, even though sometimes we wish he would come at war. They called on him. But Jesus had taught earlier in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. It is likely that the man who had a sad and disheartening encounter with Jesus, known as the rich young ruler, 
was in Jerusalem for Passover because all Jews in that day were expected to return to Jerusalem for this celebration. And Mark 10 records this encounter. As Jesus started on his way from verse 17, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud, honour your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. You know, imagine what this eternal life-seeking rich young ruler might have been feeling. Had he not just been in Jerusalem for the Passover when Jesus was there, but, when, but if he was there when, when he and the thieves were crucified on the cross, and if he'd stopped to hear the word of Jesus that he said to one of the thieves on the cross in Luke 23, 39 to 43. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insights at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself. There was written a notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. Sorry, verse 40. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This thief who had broken all the laws rather than keep them as the rich young ruler had was being promised paradise later that day. What the rich young ruler had asked Jesus about earlier, this bad guy next to him is getting. It's good news that he doesn't deserve. You know, in this time of staying home, I've been getting out each day with my daughters to go for a walk and, and we've observed and smiled at lots of people in their gardens, spending time making their gardens look beautiful. In FaceTime conversations with my parents, they regularly update me on what they've been doing. Maybe it's similar to some of you. They've been calling friends, watching TV, doing scrapbooking and gardening. Spoken to a number of people in my church who are planting winter veggies for the first time. And my kids decided that we should make a vegetable garden until I reminded them that they don't like veggies. They do like potatoes, but they take over 100 days to grow. I know, I googled it. So it would be a while before we are frying them to make hot chips. Now you might say, what does this have to do with gardening, <laughs> this story? Well, you see, in the beginning, God created the world and he did so in a perfect place called the Garden of Eden. God then created Adam and Eve and assigned them the responsibility of taking care of the garden. Not only was the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve shared responsibility to take care of the garden, but it was also the place where they enjoyed their relationship with the creator of the garden. God hung out in the garden with Adam and Eve and enjoyed fellowship with the prize of his creation. He created the humans, or sorry, he created the heavens and the earth and humans to be with him and to be with each other. We were made to be with God. It's interesting that the first words of the cross um, that we looked at last week, Father, 
forgive them for they know not what they do. Those words were spoken to the Father, addressed to the Father. His words were not specifically to his followers. And then the next words are not to his followers either, but rather they were to this thief on the cross. The word that Jesus speaks from the cross that echoes down to us is a personal and relevant word to me and perhaps to you as well, because we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. It could have, it would have, it should have been us on that cross next to Jesus. But the words Jesus speaks to the thief that day and that we need to hear too is truly, I tell you, today you will be with me. Sometimes when we're experiencing pain, experiencing dark, difficult days in our life, we need to hold fast to that reality and that nature and the character of Jesus, that he is the God who is with us. When we're hanging on the cross of foreclosure, Jesus is with us. When you're hanging on the cross of marriage problems, Jesus is with you. When you're suffering through the terrible twos and potty training your kid is about to make you lose the plot, especially when you can't take them out to use a public playground, Jesus is with you. When your teenager hits puberty and their voice begins to change and their hormones kick into high gear and you wonder who it is that won't say a word to you but expects you to finance their life, Jesus is with you. When you feel alone and afraid, and you feel overwhelmed by the changing circumstances in our world, please remember, Jesus is with you. And on the cross, Jesus with the thief says, today you will be with me in paradise. When the thief turns to Jesus and when you and I turn to Jesus and repent of our sin and confess our sin and walk into the forgiveness that Jesus offers, the result not only is that Jesus is with us today, but that, they, that we will be with Jesus in paradise. The word paradise is an interesting word. It's the um, original word paradisos in the original language, in the Greek. And it's an old word that was first used by the ancient Greek historian named Xenophon of Athens, who was born in 430 BC. And when he used this word paradisos, it was a word used to describe and refer to the Garden of Kings, it was a word that hung around throughout the centuries and it was a word that the first century Jew, be it Jesus or the thief next to him on the cross, would have been familiar with. It related to the word picture of a garden of the kings. The thief was talking to Jesus about a kingdom, but not the kingdom that the people were expecting in the crowd a week earlier. Today, Jesus was telling this thief, you will be living in the garden with me. Living the garden life, if you like, with God is the whole theme that runs through the entire Bible. It's about being back in a healed, whole and right relationship with God and about being back in a healed, whole and right relationship with each other. The garden life is about loving God and loving others. Can you imagine what it would look like if you were experiencing right now, if, you were, if your relationships were right on target with, with God and also with your spouse and with your friends and your family and your boss and your neighbours. That's a glimpse of the garden life. And that is in part why Jesus died on the cross, to make a way back to the garden life with God, where sin no longer messed it all up. You know, we can trust God with our life. And I wonder, are you trusting Him today? I always try to trust those who know about the thing that they're talking about. A few months ago, I had to have surgery on a badly fractured finger. And then more recently, just a little while ago, my surgeon said, I, I, you need to have another surgery, a second surgery. 
And I tried bargaining with him, you know, but, but what if we just try something else? You know, I could, I could just keep pushing through the pain. Maybe send me to hand therapy a bit more often. Maybe another surgery is not necessary. But ultimately, my hand surgeon knows hands. And I ask, if this was your hand or if this was your kid's hand, what would you do? He says, I'd be in surgery this afternoon. So I booked it in for a month's time or a month later, which was just a week or so ago, when my husband would be home from overseas and it would fit more conveniently with my schedule. But ultimately, I had to trust my hand surgeon, someone who really knows hands. Who are you trusting your life with today? Are you trusting your life with the one who created life and who really knows you and what your life can be? The crowd that first Palm Sunday missed the point. They were putting their trust in Jesus for the wrong reasons. They wanted Jesus to save them from their current situation, to overthrow the authorities of the day. The rich young ruler, he also failed to trust God's plan and was sad and frustrated. He trusted in what he had rather than in what God had promised. And many of us today in the crisis we're currently facing, we're a little bit of a loss because so many things we've put our trust in Things that we've put our hope in are now uncertain. Jobs, wealth, investment, travel escapes, sport, gyms, activities, friendships. The thief next to Jesus got it and he enjoyed the life with Jesus, the King, later that day and throughout eternity. Today, I invite you to trust me, or sorry, to join me in trusting God with your life. Not just trust him to do what you think is best, but trust him with your life to do what he knows is best. If you'd like us to pray with you or you'd like someone to pray with you, then I invite you to send us an email to the address on the screen and we'll pray with you. And if you'd like, we'll call you and pray with you and talk to you about the hope that is found in Jesus.